0: Greetings and welcome to the Beer Drinking Scientists, my name is Mark West. This show is dedicated to my friend and fellow beer drinking scientist Darren Osborne, who recently passed away after a two-year battle with brain cancer. I have put some words up on our website, beerdrinkingscientists.com, and there you can also make a charitable donation to the Cure Brain Cancer Foundation. But this show is a celebration of Darren, and to do that, I have scoured my old hard drives for our original Beer Drinking Scientist recordings. In these recordings, we road-tested a few ideas and drank a little bit too much beer, and we didn't put them out at the time because they were frankly a little bit ridiculous. But I hope you enjoy them today. I've also included some audio from Diffusion Science Radio and Mr Science Show. Take it away, Darren.
1: Welcome to Beer Drinking Scientists. We're here at the James Squire Brewery down on the King Street Wharf very close to Darling Harbour, as you can tell in the background. It's a very busy evening. My name is Darren and I'm joined here
0: by my good friend Mark. How are you going? I'm good, thanks Darren. It's great to be down here. You're looking rather nice tonight I think, with the moustache. Yeah, look we've been putting in the hard yards over the last,
1: what, nearly three weeks now and I I think uh, it's starting to come of age. I think now we're
0: starting to realise the full potential of the mo. Well, this is true. And now we can drink beer and have the nice white frothy stuff you know, cool. I kind of understand now what men with
1: beards talk about when they're saying, you know, we're capturing the flavour for later on because I know this morning when
0: I was brushing my teeth, it took me a while to get the foam out of my mouth. <laughs> Yeah, you need to wash your face, actually, which is something I haven't ever done. (laughs) It's a weird sensation.
1: All right, well, one of the main reasons why we're here, apart from drinking beer in very noisy pubs, is to have a look at some of the science issues that are of utmost importance. And so the first one we're going to look at in this episode, we're going to look at uh, why is it that when one gets into the water, whether it be a pool, whether it be the ocean, it feels so bloody
0: cold. Mark, what are your thoughts on this? I've got to say, when I get into the cold ocean, it's never really cold for me because another natural response happens and, you know, you urinate and that warms you up. (laughs) Oh, I'm keeping a
1: wide berth from you when I go swimming. I I have to admit, too, like I I do notice that it is cold, but being being an old Victorian boy... Um, I'm kind of used to that because the we- the water is never warm. It's never warm in Victoria. Don't kid yourself. Those boys who surf down at Bells Beach, they're covered in wetsuits. They're kidding themselves if they think they're going to go in in a pair of Speedos or what we affectionately call budgie smugglers. But an interesting um, observation here I picked up from New Scientist magazine. A lot of readers seem to think that uh, it's got to do with the fact that the abdomen is much warmer than the legs because this is an interesting thing. When you get in you put your legs in and that's fine but it's when you get to the midriff the torso region that things go all horribly pear shaped. Do you
0: notice that Mark? I have noticed that. I'll pull you up on an earlier point but Bell's Beach is an awful beach just the one time I went there really isn't much of a beach. Anyway and hello to our Victorian listeners but yes apparently the the cold sensation, the, re- the reason it feels rather bad is because of the difference in temperature between your midriff and the actual ocean. And your midriff is warmer because of the, uh, the body warmth in that area or the digestion and the processing that's going on down there is warming your body up and keeping it warm. Although I imagine most men would probably think that when you hit a little bit lower than the midriff, more around that testicle region. I was or... going to
1: say, let, let's get to the point. Which region are we talking about?
0: Around your pubic uh, regions, there are a lot of sensitive nerves, which probably also add to the fact that you're feeling an incredible coldness.
1: Well, it's quite interesting. I mean, one of the other things that, that comes to mind when I'm thinking about body temperature and I'm thinking about blokes is, I don't know if you've ever had to share a bed with a woman. and, and I mean, I look at your mo and I think, well, you know, quite likely tonight, you may be. But have you ever noticed that girls are cold? They're always cold and they always come up to you and they say, warm me up. Or, or they do that whole spoon approach where they they sort of get in that spoon position and, and back their rear end into you. And you think, holy heck, here comes the
0: iceberg that hit the Titanic. But to be honest, um, when they do that, I generally wake them up in the morning around about six o'clock with like a rather large you know something poking into their back so it's probably all evens out i think that probably feels rather warm oh well that that just took it down a level (laughs) i wasn't expecting that cool
1: One of the things uh, that one, one rider and a new scientist suggest is, is is a very interesting technique to compare the difference between one's legs when you're getting into the water and one's stomach. And, and I'd like to try and change this analogy slightly given the setting we're in. They suggest that you take a an ice cold Aussie lager in one glass and take a fairly warm English ale and dip your finger, one finger from each hand in either one. Leave it there for a couple of minutes. And then, you know, put a glass of water at room temperature in the middle and then put both fingers in there and you should feel that both are different. So the one that was in the Aussie lager will now feel warmer and the one that was in the English ale will feel a bit colder. It probably wouldn't work with beer, but look, give it a go anyway
0: because you could drink the contents afterwards. Apparently this works because of the temperature difference. You, you notice something's cold or something's hot because of its difference in temperature to yourself. Have you ever tried making someone wet themselves at night by putting their hands in lukewarm water, Darren? I've heard of this phenomenon, but I've never actually seen it seen it done. Does it work? I've never actually tried it. I've only seen it in such things as American pie. But uh, I think that the reason that happens is because it relaxes your body, I think. Go, go into
1: detail. Tell, tell us exactly. So if anyone is out there, I mean, we, we challenge people out there to try this out and to get back to us and tell us if it works. H- how does it work? Well, what, what do you do?
0: Well, what you do is you, you, you take your sleeping friend or your sleeping cold girlfriend who's wanting to spoon you at night, and you take their hand and you place their hand in lukewarm water whilst they're asleep. And apparently, this will make them urinate. So... If anybody has any experience of this and wants to try this as an experiment, why don't you write us an email? Well, look, I, I think it's all very interesting, and, and
1: I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm going to get to the end of this, this uh, IPA, hopefully quench myself with a, a slightly different beer. And, and, look, it's been great talking to you, Mark. I hope you've enjoyed our little chat this afternoon.
0: I very much enjoyed it. I'm going to get to the end of this beer, maybe have another one. It's actually getting better over time, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Look, thanks for joining us.
1: And uh, we'll be back soon with more beer drinking scientists. Well, welcome back again for another dose of dribble from the Beer Drinking Scientist. We're sitting here outside the Harbour View Hotel in the Rocks area of Sydney. And if I look behind me, there is a lovely view of the Sydney Harbour Bridge lit up at night. And I'm joined once again by Mark West. How are you, Mark? I'm great, Darren. You're forgetting the lovely view I have of you right now.
0: It's beautiful. (laughs) Oh,
1: you do talk. You do talk. Of course, we're continuing on with Movember. If you're not aware of it, check out www.movember.com.au. It's all about raising money for men's health because, let's face it, men are too lazy to pull their finger out of their backsides and they'd rather let a doctor do it for them.
0: Have you had that check, that special check, Darren? I haven't yet to have it.
1: Uh, not for that condition, but I have felt the love of my doctor once before. But let's not go into those details. Just for something entirely different. Um, today we're we're sitting outside. We're drinking James Squire once again, but this time probably one of my one of my favourites. We're we're drinking the Amber Ale.
0: H- how are you finding this one? Oh, this one was very refreshing. It went very well with the uh, hamburger that we just had. Well, you wouldn't call it a hamburger. It was more of a steak sandwich with Turkish bread. It Was a little bit. Uh... La-di-da. It was almost avant-garde. It was, really. I mean, the chips saved it. I mean, they weren't sweet potato chips. They were your old-fashioned potato chips. But uh, it was very nice. It was very new age. Anyway, I'm enjoying the beer. It's very refreshing, actually. I would say they're almost that old, uh,
1: the old-fashioned. They'd been sitting in the Bay marie for half an hour. But l- let's not dwell on that. Let's not dwell. We're sitting here with Amber. And, and in this episode, we're going to be talking about, you guessed it, alcohol. Because those boffins over in the UK, using a radio telescope, because we love using that word boffin, um, they have managed to find the Holy Grail. They have found a stream of
0: alcohol, 462 million kilometres in length. That is an awful lot of alcohol. That's almost as much as we've consumed tonight, I think. (laughs)
1: Now, if, if you're desperate for a drink and you, your bottle is closed, you've got to head to the constellation of Cassiopeia. Cassiopeia, I should say. I'll try and get that out properly. Um, there's a big stretch of methanol. And for those of you who do a bit of chemistry or have done a bit of organic chemistry in your time, you'd know that methanol is the main component of alcohol.
0: Actually, no, it's not. It's, um, it's ethanol. Ethanol is the main component. Methanol is what gives you the hangover. Is because- it? So we're being duped here. This is, this is methylated spirits. This is true. So this is not your expensive night out. This is your cheap night in, I think. <laughs> I think from memory, if you take methylated spirits and mix it with,
1: with orange juice and then you use a straw and don't drink the top layer, you will not get the poison. But don't take that from me.
0: I don't know what you did in your youth, Darren, but I wouldn't be doing that at all. Methanol is what uh, ethanol gets decomposed to. Methanol has uh, half the carbons. So, and methanol is what gives you the hangovers and makes you feel incredibly bad. Not the good feeling you get from ethanol. So, I, for one, wouldn't be recommending Darren's uh, Methylated Spirits orange juice drink.
1: True, true. But actually, now I'm thinking about it. I mean, methanol is seen as maybe one of the potential future fuels. So maybe what we should be doing is getting NASA, the boffins at NASA, to be investigating how the hell we can get up to Cassiopeia, and then we can avoid this whole oil shortage and oil problems and, and just drive our cars on methanol, I think
0: it'd be great. But you've got another story here, Mark, about beer goggles. Apparently there is a scientific explanation for beer goggles. A bloke by the name of Barry T. Jones, not the Barry Jones from the Labor Party, but the Barry T. Jones from the Department of Psychology at the University of Glasgow, has done a test on alcohol consumption increases attractiveness ratings of opposite-sex faces, a possible third route to risky sex. It's a good t- catchy title, and he's talking about risky sex. Now we're not talking about sex without protection. Yeah, that's right. Well, yes, we're not talking about sex on a cliff or any of that sort of stuff either. This is just sex that you probably wouldn't do if you weren't drunk. Now, he had a couple of theories. His first theory was called alcohol myopia, which basically means that alcohol restricts your cognitive capacity, or it means that you only pay attention to the interesting things like sexual arousal and not any of the negative results that could uh, happen if you have sex with the wrong person. So are we saying that this this particular
1: researcher has found that, that basically the action in your pants is going to override any brain function
0: when you're pissed? Yeah, exactly. It's a pretty good study, isn't it? I wouldn't mind doing this study. Hey, let's go get drunk and see if we can have some risky sex. His second theory was called alcohol expectancy, which is whether, uh, whether it's societal or not, his theory was that maybe we expect sex if we've had a lot of alcohol. I don't know what your theory on this is, Darren. Look, uh, speaking from the male
1: side of the species, I think most men basically expect that they would get sex at some time and they don't really need alcohol. I don't know, maybe women might think differently. Uh, But obviously alcohol here in this study plays a part, so let's
0: put our our faith in the good uh, Dr. Jones. I'm not sure what that lovely tall blonde girl thought when she walked past, hearing you say that quite out loud and, and give you a, a once up and down. Uh, anyway, his third theory was that you might end up uh, having risky sex if you find your the face of your partner more attractive because it seems reasonable, you know. Sex is a lot about looking at somebody else's face. That's how you find them attractive. And maybe alcohol makes somebody's face more attractive. And, and that would link back to the, the, the
1: whole... Alcohol myopia thing. So, I mean, basically, I mean, we are talking about beer goggles
0: because you can't see clearly. Yeah, that's exactly right. And his theory was, and he tested it on drunk people at university essentially, he kind of found that that was true. You uh, have a 25% increase in how attractive you rate the face of someone of the opposite sex when you're a little bit drunk. Well, look, I I think that's a lot of uh,
1: things to think about there, about uh, alcohol and cassiopeia and basically getting drunk and and picking up women and men that you don't find attractive. Thanks once again, Mark, for joining me here over a glass of beer at this lovely uh, setting in the rocks, and uh, I
0: hope we can do it once again. Thanks very much, Darren. You're looking very attractive tonight, actually. (laughs) Which, at that point, I think you better take your beer goggles off.
1: Thanks once again for joining us. We'll catch you again next time. (laughs) three. <laughs> Welcome once again, we're the Beer Drinking scientists, and we're here near George Street in the middle of Sydney at the New South Wales Sports Club and its salubrious surroundings. As I look at, it's Matt Burke there with a big kick and an awful Wallaby Guernsey, uh, Michael Klim, uh, George Griggan with a big tackle around me and we're sitting here
0: enjoying a good old-fashioned twoies new. How are you, Mark? I'm very well, thanks Darren. It's Matt Burke from the great club of Eastwood, the Eastwood Rugby Club. The greatest New South Wales rugby club in history. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, I've got a lot to
1: learn about being in Sydney. Anyway, we're enjoying a 2E's New, it's a beautiful beer, it's clean, it's fresh, it'll probably induce a hangover after a couple of them, but it's the stock standard beer in Sydney. And this time round, we're going to talk about Mars, and Mars, not the chocolate bar, not the title of the Hoodoo Gurus album, Mars Needs Guitars. We're talking about Mars and NASA and the Mars Global Surveyor. Tragic news this week. Tragic, tragic news. The Mars Global Surveyor has gone AWOL. After more than 10 years in space orbiting around that dead red planet, it's decided to give up the ghost.
0: What are your thoughts on Mars Global Surveyor disappearing? Did you ever see the film Santa Claus Conquers the Martians? That was a good film.
1: I think that got rated as one of the worst films of all time.
0: It did, uh, on IMDb, one of the worst films of all time, but this is not what we're talking about today. Probably only closely winning from Tom Cruise's War of the Worlds. Oh, War of the Worlds. Wasn't that a good Mars film? The aliens, they appear from the inside of the Earth, don't they, and just uh, start taking over. But what beats them in the end? The common cold, I think.
1: Yeah, in fact, that's what happened. I've seen the 1960s version, and I think a very similar thing happened. Uh, also read the book by H.G. Wells. Haven't heard Orson awesome Welles' version, but I, I do recall, um, and you can check this out on Wikipedia, I suppose, he scared the crap out of
0: everyone in New York because they all thought that Mars was being invaded. But let, let's cut to the chase. Well, do, you remember, do you remember Mel Gibson's signs? The aliens in that died because of water. You threw water at them and they burned. What sort of smart aliens come across, you know, halfway across the universe and die because of water? Anyway, this is a, a, a sidebar. Back
1: to you. Um, yeah, Mars Global Surveyor ha- was launched back in November 1996. I-, I, re- I remember that well when I was working down at the tracking station in Canberra. Uh, anyway, went into orbit about a year later. Been doing lots of photos, thousands of photos. Been sending them back. It's it's pretty much filled NASA's iPhoto library. Um, <laughs> they're going to be looking at it for years, so along with it, there's the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, the Mars Odyssey and the European Space Agency's Mars Express so look, they're going to be happy snaps coming from all, all angles So, and, and the interesting thing is that uh, Australia plays a key role in this. Um, the, the tracking station down in Canberra will obviously be pointing its dishes at the Mars Global Surveyor, trying to wake it up saying, hey, we're here point at us talk to us, what's the problem, let's get back online. But if they don't, I think, look, the fact is the mission cost $247 million. They got 10 years out of it. Um, That's pretty good value if you're running a space mission, pretty crap if you're running a car. Now for the news that didn't make the news, Mark, have you got something to say?
0: Yes, thanks Tilly. Here are some cultural learnings to make benefit the glorious nation of diffusion. And with the ashes starting very soon, I thought we'd talk a little bit about cricket and psychology. Bring it on. Excellent. The best batsman in the world, apparently, can predict the sort of ball a bowler is going to deliver before it even leaves his hands, a study of psychology shows.
1: Now, I might be showing my age here, but uh, Max Walker, if anyone remembers his run-up, I mean, you'd be completely stuffed trying to work out what he was I doing. I remember Maxie's run-up. There was a kind of a long lope, like a mm. sort of a drunken
0: gibbon. Ma- <laughs> <laughs> if I remember, oh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but yeah, no, Maxie had a bit of a <laughs> over-the-shoulder type uh, action. He did. He bowled off the wrong foot as well, I seem uh-huh, to remember. Okay. And yeah. he had a good moustache, which Darren is sporting today. He's looking very Max Walker, actually.
1: And you're looking very fine too, Mark. Uh, I've it...
0: heard uh, John Holmes, I think. I Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, uh, let's... Mark
1: doesn't know who John Holmes is,
0: folks, and which is probably a good thing. But Sorry, Mark. Go on. Back to the body language <laughs> and not of the John Holmes sight uh, kind. Was the research done on just fast bowlers or was it done on spin bowling as well? It looks like it was just done on fast bowlers, but uh, spin bowling would bring a... It's a totally different scenario. You'd have to not only be reading the body language but reading the the wrist, the position of the ball, the position of the hand.
1: And, of course, the thumb position of
0: Shane Warne. Darren Osborne, editor of ABC Science Online. You must have some insight into the science year that was 2008. What were your particular highlights?
1: Yeah, look it's an interesting year, I mean climate change was was, was ever present as as it will be for the next couple of decades I think. Um, The interesting thing with climate change is we're now starting to see a a number of um, bodies of research that um, show that it's not as simple and clear cut as we used to think. Um, There was a study from the CSIRO a few months back that uh, showed that the amount of black carbon in soils has been heavily underestimated and that we might uh, be overestimating the, the increases in in carbon in the atmosphere, um, and then there have also been um, you know, some studies looking at methane and how methane uh, which is which is much more potent greenhouse gas than co2 uh, is is actually coming out at an increasing rate again so you know those sorts of stories we 're going to see more of, but I, I think one of the interesting things was that this year saw the year that that modern media or the mainstream media became experts in particle physics. There certainly was a, an interesting uh, story, the uh, Large Hedron Collider, which was uh, switched on and then very quickly switched off in September.
0: So how far did the LHC go? Were there any scientific results that came out of it? <laughs>
1: in one word, nada.
0: <laughs> no,
1: not really. I mean, <clears throat> the interesting thing was that the media and, and the public at large were quite concerned um, back in September, that the, the LHC would, was going to create all this mini black hole which was going to suck us all in and, and, and you know, the end of the universe as we, we know it. But most media reports miss the fact that, that it was only a test back then that the beam was going to be switched on to go in one direction and then reverse to go in the other, that you weren't going to have two beams that eventually collided, and that's where the science uh, was going to be done. And and that was going to happen many weeks in advance, but unfortunately they they had a problem with a short circuit in one of the magnets, and it caused a, a helium leak, and the thing's been shut down. And I think it's going to cost an estimated thirty
0: million dollars to fix that short circuit. I, mean, it's, <laughs> I certainly don't want that electrician coming to my place. <laughs> oh, it's small change compared to the to the seven hundred and eighty billion bailout. And quirky story of the year: X-rays and sticky tape. Yeah, this
1: one uh, come from uh, California. Um, it's actually based on, on some research that, that occurred back in the Soviet Union, I think in the 1960s, where there was this uh, observation that there's some sort of rays or some high energy uh, coming out of sticky tape when you, when you take it off the roll, when you peel it off. And so these researchers at the uh, University of California, I think in Los Angeles it was, um, decided to actually do some tests to see what happened, and they found that there was enough X-rays coming off a, a, a roll of sticky tape as you unrolled it that you could uh, take an X-ray of your finger. Now, I don't know what that means come Christmas time when we're wrapping our presents. I think the suggestion would be to you know, have a good arm's length between you and the sticky tape. You don't want to sort of be wrapping them on your lap, do you?
0: It's just what I was thinking, no unwrapping Christmas presents on your lap this Christmas. Up on Christmas morning, right the Australian science story, perhaps the, uh, the live birth story with the, the fossilised fish. Yeah, I was a bit disappointed you didn't hear about this over in the UK
1: because it was, it was a fairly significant story, particularly for, for Australian um, paleontologists, because um, this featured in Nature. Uh, it was uh, from the Uni- uh, Melbourne uh, Museum, Museum of Victoria, uh, where they uh, actually found in a fossil, a uh, fossil of a fish. A fossilized embryo with the uh, the whole umbilical cord and the placenta all attached and, and, and there was a couple of um, reasons why this is outstanding I mean first of all it 's evidence of live birth in fish uh, quite quite a long time ago, and secondly it, it pushes live birth amongst animals back uh, several million years back to I think about two hundred and thirty million years off the top of my head so I mean it was a fairly fairly big story, and I think it 's it's, it's one worth reflecting on for two thousand
0: and eight. And the Queen got involved.
1: Yeah, there was really weird. They had a they had a press conference in Adelaide to announce it um, at the I think it was the uh, Australian Science Media Centre, and they had a, a a live hookup with the the Royal Society in London, and the Queen delivered a message. I, I think there was some more to play in, in that than just that story. But it was all it was all very um, tight embargoes and hush hush, even more so than your normal nature
0: paper. And any other highlights from the year in uh, in dot point form.
1: 2008, the year of the genome. Uh, we had the uh, woolly mammoth, the Neanderthal, the kangaroo, yeah. the platypus, um, the announcement of the uh, mapping of cocoa, which I know would be dear to many people's hearts. I think corn was another one, and the Tasmanian devil. So, genome, um, very important. I think um, biofuel, the biofuel debate has, has taken an interesting turn. You know, we all thought it was the, the panacea to get us through the the uh, the oil crisis and our dependence on on fossil fuels. Well now we're seeing you know groups such as the the uh, International Monetary Fund and and the United Nations concerned that a lot of countries are actually buying up huge blocks of land in in some of the uh, developing nations and instead of growing food, growing biofuels. So that's that's another uh, uh, interesting one to come out for this year. And I think probably the uh, as I mentioned, at the start climate change. I think. Uh, a you know, number of stories are coming out in that, and even though this year, uh, just today, the, the World Meteorological Office uh, announcing that 2008 was a cooler year, it's still up in the top 10 of, uh, of, of, of years as far as temperature goes, and, and I think we're going to see uh, a few
0: hotter ones over the next few years. I know the biofuels debate was was huge in England because they don't really have any land to grow their own food, so they import it all from everywhere, and now people are growing biofuel crops instead of the food crops and the food prices have gone up a lot over there i don't know if that's happened here so much
1: i think as you know i mean in australia the drought has probably had more of an effect on 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 crops and food prices than than any other factor um, biofuel is certainly is and still an emerging and very small market in australia that um, you're starting to see a lot of science now looking into things such as using wheat stubble instead, so you know, taking the crop that we're already growing for food and adapting it for biofuel. I, I mean, another area of research too is looking at the, the organisms that make the biofuel and convert the cellulose into, uh, into different types of alcohols that we can use. So we might see some advances in there, but I mean, the reality is we, we really should be looking at some of the newer technologies such as hybrids, such as hydrogen, and maybe even electric. So. Hopefully, we might see more of those in the next few years.
0: And you've got a you've got a beer story for us from the other beer drinking scientist.
1: <laughs> yeah, I knew I had to slip this one in. Um, this one I love. This was from uh, or from San Francisco, where a researcher had um, extracted yeast. From the gut of a bug that was trapped in amber. Now you might remember Jurassic Park and how they extracted the blood and got the dinosaur DNA. This is a similar principle. Uh, they uh, they extracted the yeast, turned out to be a 45 million year old yeast, uh, and they they uh, found that it's still it's still alive. They could still use it, and they they. T- in, instead of you know huge medical applications or or you know solving the food crisis or even biofuel as we're talking about, they went and made beer out of it, and, and now they sell it. I think it's called the Fossil Brewing Company or something like that. So check you could check do a Google and check it out. But it's quite amazing. The the interesting thing is that they found that the yeast is is much more simple than uh, than the, the the strains of yeast that are used to brew um, beer today. Uh, and they're, they're going to track it to see whether it you know, it changes and adapts and becomes more like today's yeast. But, I mean, they do have a serious side to their research and they are interested in looking at, at some of the other um, bacteria and bugs that you would find in, in these uh, tiny animals that are trapped in amber. But uh, yeah, hats off to them. I, I think that's fantastic, making beer out of 45-million-year-old yeast.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> and any final thoughts, Darren?
1: Well, Mark, I'd like to first of all congratulate you on, a, on another fantastic year of science podcasting. Um, you know, we, we missed you here in Australia, and we're glad that you've come back to to our fair shores. Best program for the year? Well, I, I think everyone would say the sumo diet has to be... And, and I, I haven't met Eugenia since she's come back from Japan, but I'd be looking, looking forward to seeing the results of the sumo diet and how they're, how they're going. <laughs>
0: Thanks very much, Darren. Thank you, Mark.
1: from Mark and and Darren, a, a cheers. And that's us from the Beer Drinking Scientists for this time. We'll catch you again on another episode.
0: See ya.